Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of London Calling, our very own property podcast brought to you by Corico Independent Mortgage Advisors. My name is Andrew Montlake, although you can call me Monty, and I shall be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. This is London Calling. This month we'll be trying to understand a little more about what effect recent changes in the mortgage market have had as the mortgage market review is starting to bed in and whether recent actions by Mark Carney have made any difference and how there is more to life than high street lenders. To help us make sense and understand what is happening on the ground, we are lucky to have with us two very influential guests. First, we have the Head of Mortgage Policy at the Building Societies Association, Paul Broadhead. Hello. Hello. And with him is Louisa Sedgwick, Head of Corporate Accounts at Leeds Building Society. Hello. Hello. We also have Corico's very own shy and retiring MD, Matt Lowndes, to put his two pennies in. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Monty. (laughs) So, as property indices continue to show house prices rising, in London up 20% year on year, according to the latest ONS figures, the Governor of the Bank of England has recently introduced two measures to try to combat this. A new affordability test, whereby mortgage lenders should assess if borrowers can still afford to repay their mortgage if interest rates were three percentage points higher than at the time of the loan, and no more than 15% of a lender's total number of residential mortgages should be at or greater than 4.5 times the borrower's income. So, with this as a backdrop then, the first question is whether or not you think that any of this will really make a difference to lenders, or in reality, is a mortgage market review doing this anyway? Um, And going on from that, what difference has MMR made to the lending community, and is it as negative as a lot of the press releases make out? Paul, do you want to crack on with that? Sure. I mean, in in terms of the mortgage market review, is it... Is it negative? I don't think it's negative. I mean, it's it's pretty sensible where we landed. I think uh, it's about putting common sense back at the heart of mortgage lending. Uh, we did see some headlines, didn't we, that uh, your bikini yeah. wax was going to cost you your mortgage. Absolutely. I've had to stop having them. My haircut. Um, uh, you know, steak dinners and haircuts and all of that. Now, that is, and Martin Wheatley from the SEA did say, that's going too far. And I think we will see some odd things like that until this, the regime beds down. But the important thing is, if lenders are to utilise their judgment and put common sense at the heart of mortgage lending, it's absolutely vital that the regulator puts common sense at the heart of supervising that mortgage regime. Yeah. And it's only through that consistency of supervision will lenders have the confidence um, to to you know, to, to do um, the right thing by those borrowers rather than take an overly conservative approach. Just in terms of Mark Carney and the, the Bank of England regime, I mean, the two points, the stress test, first of all, I don't think we'll have a great deal of difference overnight. Um, yeah, it's there. It's there for the future. And the 4.5 times uh, income um, uh, had been only 15% of your book. Again, I don't think it'll have a great deal of impact overnight. Where it will have an impact, though, is in certain regions. So London and the South East, clearly, where typically people need to borrow higher multiples of their income. So do you think it was necessary at all? Or or is it really just worrying about the future rather than having an effect now, making th- sure that lenders don't get carried away again? I think I think it's two things. First of all, it's there for the future. I don't think it's there for now. And I think the Bank of England themselves have said, look, we don't see a bubble. 
but this was you know the first major opportunity since the uh, speculation about is there a housing bubble in London are we seeing pockets around the country and I think what it gave the financial policy committee the opportunity to do was to send a signal to both the mortgage lending industry and to consumers that you know they are not afraid to do what they were set out to do, which is intervene if they think the market's getting um, heated up. So it's taken that step to say, look, we're going to be monitoring the market very, very closely. I don't think it'll have the immediate impact, but everybody is clear now what the, com- what the committee will be looking at, what it's trying to measure, and that it isn't afraid to act in the yeah. future. And Louisa, MMR, well, for us as brokers, seem to... Seem to be right, actually. There's a, yeah. a bit of a fuss around nothing. How's it changed your processes? And- Similarly, it hasn't. Um, we're amongst a number of other lenders that changed their affordability rules, say, two years ago. So, actually, we've gone through this completely unscathed. It's maybe a couple of the larger lenders that have changed at the, at the late stage, whereas a lot of the smaller lenders actually changed their rules two or three years ago. So we haven't noticed a difference. It hasn't impacted on service. It hasn't impacted on our application numbers and it hasn't impacted on the the acceptancy numbers either. So Mm. to be fair, fairly unscathed. And that's the sort of sense that I'm getting from a number of the brokers that we speak to, that actually we already had these processes in place. We're already looking after the customers effectively. And so it's business as usual. Yeah, I think, I think where there is a difference, um, which is kind of on the contract variation side. So I think for yeah. new borrowers, it's been that it's widely trailed. Yeah. The affordability and everything, as Louisa rightly says, has been in for 18 months, two years, pretty much for, for the majority of, of high street lenders and certainly from our members from the building society sector. But it's those people that are used to just calling up and saying, I want to change this, I want to change that. They've had mortgages for you know, 15, 20, 25 years, and now their, uh, their call times are lengthening, they're being asked, far more questions, a little bit more intrusive. And I think that's the area where we want the FCA to kind of give that guidance as to how far they want lenders to go because Mm. that's something that is going to frustrate customers going forward. Mm. And lenders are are trying their very best not to say this regulation has been done to us. You know, they're trying to own those changes and make the customer experience as positive as it can possibly be. But there has been an impact on that at the end. Slight worry bead is obviously any of the cases that came in and non-advised that came in before the 26th of April because the cut-off date is 26th of July. Yeah. So they may well have to start going through the affordability process if they've come in on a non-advised route. So I think that that's something that you know, people need to be aware of. Um, and similarly, lenders need to start thinking about what action they can take ahead of the 26th of July. If it's a remortgage, try and push that through or just try and speed up the process maybe with the conveyance in peace. Yeah. And uh, Matt, have you seen any, I know you, you uh, look at these stats from applicant, uh, well, application to offer, basically. Have you seen a, a, a massive change in terms of, in terms of that for our business? Uh, yeah, in terms of our business, absolutely. Um, I think I looked at the stats at the end of April and it was taking us 13 days to get an offer out. And when we looked a couple of months later, it had uh, drifted out to 25 days. Right, okay. So uh, that's a big change. Um, Obviously, we haven't really changed anything in the way we operate, so I can only assume that um, some of our... Some of our lenders were struggling to keep up with the pace. Not all, obviously. Some some haven't really changed because, obviously, we we check it on a a lender-by-lender basis. We have noticed, though, I did the stats um, for the meeting on Friday, our company meeting last Friday, and that's come down to uh, 20 days. So you can already see that... starting to improve again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we, we know some lenders had um, IT issues and a few other different things went wrong. So 
Well, I think from our point of view, though, we, we, we've, we've just made sure that we reassure our guys to make sure that they package a case properly. Yeah. And I think what our guys have struggled with a little bit is that they don't they haven't felt as com- confident when they're sitting down with clients first off whereas they could probably give a, a fairly decent idea to a client in a meeting and then clients are sort of like well you really do you really need to see us for an hour i mean yes i do actually so or, can you think six, six hours or yeah. six yeah. hours if you go into a branch <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> sorry uh, i mean no i mean we had all our processes sorted we had the fact find nothing's really changed i, I guess it was just uh where people wanted a quick overview they, they can't do that anymore i mean that that's that's an educational piece that we've had to do to our introducer estate agents as well that you can't just give somebody mm. a five minute phone call and then say by the way we can put it there it just that just that yeah. that world doesn't exist anymore okay so sort of summary it's um it's it's landed okay few service issues but then people I, are pretty yeah, much back on track i think which so is in the good main. yeah I think there's a couple of lenders that are maybe slightly exposed or feeling a little exposed because the regulator might decide to, to have a closer look, um, hence why we're coming out with some of the stupid comments about, you know, your steak dinners, etc. Yeah. that they have gone to maybe the other extreme. It's been extreme. a while since I've had a steak dinner. It, likewise. <laughs> um, but they seem to have gone off to the other extreme, and I think it's simply because they're in, you know, they're in the spotlight of the regulator, and I do think that that will start to ease off as we come to the end of this year. I guess the only other thing that I would say is that we have gone through a big change. Everybody's heard about it. Yeah. MMR hadn't embedded down. Then we got these extra um, rules or whatever you want to call them that are due to come into force in October. I think the public don't understand what's happening, and they I, I keep hearing I can't get a mortgage, and that's happening. You know, I got asked. I told you I got asked that question three times over the weekend by different people. Can I get a mortgage? I, sounds like I can't get one. So I think we've got a piece to do to educate people that, yes, things have changed for the better, but nobody wants to go back to how it was. But actually, you know, you will be able to get a mortgage. It's just you're going to have to produce some documentation. It might take a little bit longer. Yeah, we've we, we found that. I mean, I've, I've, I hear that quite a lot is, you know, uh, you know, I'm reading in the media. I'm speaking to my friends. And You're so very vocal in the get... press that actually it's not like that at all. Yeah, really? absolutely. And yeah. I think there's a nervousness amongst first-time buyers, particularly that thinks, well, actually, first of all, yeah, I'd love to buy a house now, but am I still going to be in employment in six months? Because that's still a little bit shaky. Interest rates are only going to go one way. But more and more people saying, well, actually, lenders are not lending. So I'm not going to apply now because if I get turned down, somehow that's going to go against me in the future. Yeah. And the message that I'm yeah, trying to get across is yeah. to go and speak to your lender. If it's not suitable for you now, then that's not going to go against you in the future. At least you know what your options are and can make a decision and move on on an informed basis. Mm. Um, the other thing for consumers, actually, I think it's going to be interesting. MMR, I think, has landed pretty much okay, and I suspect it will continue to be okay. You've got the mortgage credit directive that comes in in 2016 from Europe yes is there a risk that it looks to our regulator given that's something that comes from Europe but from a consumer point of view did you not change all of this two years ago did you get it wrong are you now doing it again it's going yeah. to perpetuate yeah. that confusion yeah that's a very good we point. might not be in Europe by then <clears throat> yeah <laughs> and if we all move to Scotland exactly <laughs> where they said debates for a whole other podcast on yeah, that Scotland go. Europe maybe we'll do that in uh, nearer the time um Help to Buy actually has also had similar negative um, coverage, although it does seem to be helping people outside of London. Has, has that had an effect? Do we still need it? And has the government really thought about how they're going to come away from it? 
Um, is it having an effect? It's having a well. If we talk about the help to buy guarantee rather than the equity loan piece, I mean the equity loan was implemented. I think that was needed. It was a yeah. shot in the arm to construction industry. It's got them building, although we've got that lag effect. Help to buy guarantee. Um, is it needed? I was never fully convinced that it was needed. Mm. We'd started to see lenders come back to ninety five percent, ninety ninety five percent lending. Certainly in our sector, that never really went away. Mm. Um, it was there purely, I think, to. Uh, fix an area of market failure and that was a number of the large banks had pulled out of that area yeah. Yeah. it was designed to bring the large banks back in it's had that impact but more importantly it's had an impact of improving consumer confidence and mm. saying actually the market is open for business which sounds a little bit against what we've just been talking about but it has improved sentiment to an extent um exit strategy well do we know what the exit strategy is no we don't is it important that's articulated Yes, it is, because we don't want to go from having a, a famine to a feast to another famine again, because yeah, where's absolutely. that got us? Yeah. So it's absolutely, it's absolutely vital the government knows how it's going to exit that market. But, you know, we've seen the market improved. Lenders, will lenders just pull out of 95% lending overnight? No. There are private sector solutions there. The insurers tell us that there's capacity to pick up yeah. more. Yeah. Um, but it's just about making sure we manage that effectively. And you guys have been, well, as a building society, as you alluded to, and part of the point of this podcast is to say, look, there is life outside of the high street. Well, there is. I mean, you guys have been very if, good at the if high you, if, you, if, you look at, if you look at the help to buy, I mean, this was to address market failure. Not a mm. single building society signed up. Now, you know, that sounds like, are you, are you not supporting 95%? Well, if you're not the architect of the market failure, you don't have the same need of the solution. Yeah. So the sector was already lending. If you look at you know, not just high loan to value. If you look at the lending in 2013, the building society did a did a hundred percent of all of the growth in the mortgage market. So oh, yeah. I think it's safe to say they're doing the bit. Yeah. Yeah. And Leeds are very much part of that. Though, Agreed. I mean, the Leeds will lend up to 95% yeah. through intermediaries and through the branch network. Um, and so, yeah, we signed up to help to buy one, but not help to buy two, because we also do shared ownership. So really, for us, there was no, there's no benefit in us signing up to that. So, mm. um, And, you know, we will continue to lend at 95%. We, we're funded differently to the high street bank, so, you know, that helps massively. Um, but our, our aim is to continue to lend at high loan to values. Okay. Um, just a reminder that you are listening to London Calling, the property podcast from Corico Independent Mortgage Brokers. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. I was just getting it right because I got told off earlier. Um, so, uh, well, actually staying on Leeds, if mm. I may, uh, Leeds have a proud tradition of innovation, it says here in, in my notes, with, with products like um, the Welcome Mortgage, yep. etc., do you think on the whole lenders are still scared to innovate in the, with the backdrop of all this regulation or is it, has it become too much of a tick box mentality? I think regulation has probably stifled innovation with some of the big guys simply as I mentioned earlier because they are in the spotlight and I think that that will continue probably for the next six months or more until things bed down and everybody's very comfortable with the changes from MMR. As far as the leads are concerned, you know, we're regular looking. We, we have a, a segmental lending plan which shows that we will lend certain amounts within certain sectors. So we'll continue to, to develop that and to look for innovation I think we're not alone in that and certainly the building societies again going back to the way in which they're funded and the fact that they can bring about innovation albeit you know, relatively risk adverse um, I think that will continue through the building societies I do think that the big guys will start to think about how they're going to change their lending profile because ultimately they're going to start to lose out to a lot of the building societies mm. so how do how do building societies 
compete against the big guys then? What's your what's your raison d'etre, Paul? Well, I think well, I have raison d'etre <laughs> is to help people that aspire to buy their homes and can afford to buy their homes to buy their homes. I mean, that's exactly how it started off, taking local people's savings, get in your raffle, get that, build your house, and let's move on to the next one. So, yeah. you know, it's always contributed in that way. We're pretty diverse community. Um, so a lot of the lending, because if you look at size, you know, many of them are regional or, or local. And clearly, if you're local and regional, you can spot, you know your local economy, you know how things work, you can identify an opportunity and respond to it perhaps more quickly than the large banks are. You're more fleet of foot, you've left hoops that you need to jump through, yeah. uh, and so on. It pumps well above their weight in terms of first-time buyer lending, and as Louisa says, shared ownership uh, and shared equity and those types of, of loans. So we do see innovation. If you look at you know just a, a couple of our members, if you look at Bath Building Society, very strong, yeah, where, where that is, doing the buy for uni mm. um, yeah. scheme. Mm. So they, they really, really do um, take a look at their local communities and contribute. In terms of competing with the large banks, I mean, clearly on, on price, because of the way the building society sector is funded, um, to go head-to-head -head with you know a, a major bank on sub-60% LTV lending, then you're not going to you're not, you're not do that uh, purely on price, but price isn't everything. Um, we survey every two years, um, consumer survey that we do through uh, Ipsos Mori, where they compare what customer service... Um, is like at building societies versus the major banks, and we've yet to find a metric where the bank beats them. Oh, actually, apart from this. the numbers of complaints, um, <laughs> but they, can, they, can, they can keep that one. Um, but it is very, very much uh, about identifying what their customers are saying, and the innovation thing has been there. In terms of innovation more generally, I agree with Louisa that you know it has been stifled a little bit through regulation. We're still in this uh, time frame at the moment that the FCA as a solely focused conduct regulator is only just over a year old there is still a perception that is it really looking for a scalp mm. nobody wants to be mm. the outlier so mm. i think that restricts um, innovation the other thing that restricts innovation of course is the way we've bought houses just hasn't changed ever you know the way we finance yeah. them it's capital and interest and it's yeah. traditional mortgages um, whereas the way we buy cars and all this kind of thing has changed but if you look at government policy Government policy, with the help to our guarantee, is about, well, we've always done it through 95% lending, so that's the only way to do it. And if the government's saying that, the regulator, through its action, drives sameness, then it's no surprise, really, that there's a, a distinct lack of innovation on a scale. Yeah, uh, That's very interesting. So you, you think, um, I mean, I've just said before, and I know you have as well, that, that it seems amazing to me that with housing being such a major political issue there's no one at the top who a housing minister who's actually part of the part of the cabinet why any ideas why you think that is i, th I think it's just so fragmented isn't it i mean historically you you've had a housing minister that's well they've all failed to do what they what they've been um, set up to do, which is to increase this imbalance between supply and demand. Mm. And we've seen successive governments for decades fail to address the problem of sufficient supply um, of the right type yeah. in the right location. Whose responsibility um, is that? It's that well, it, in terms of it, it has to be a coherent government strategy. To you know, what kind of market do you want? And it seems like we, we, we don't even know really on the face of it whether the current government are you pro owner occupation or are you pro private rented sector? Yeah. Or are you you know what what's your position? What do you think good looks like? So you've got schemes that are implemented by the housing minister's department, the community's department that look at help to buy equity loan, help to buy one comes from there. Um, you've got the Treasury that's implemented help to buy a guarantee, with no input really from the housing minister, total separate department. If you're looking after the business of construction, so those people that are actually going mm. to build these houses, that's with biz somewhere. 
And if you look at what we need now and what this government continues to say is we're going to make more public land available for development. Well, the biggest holder of public land is the MOD. Yeah. So, no, yeah. yeah where, where Absolutely. Do you, where and then you start? build in a floodplain and that's the environment. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's really tricky. And to me, what you need is that is that housing minister that, first of all, give him the stripes, you know, give him yeah, the, the, the authority totally to do great. his job, put him at the centre of government. So whether that's as a housing ministry or in the cabinet office, but you need to coordinate what all of these departments are doing. Yeah. And if you've just got a minister with responsible f- responsibility for a small part of it, you're never going to get that coherent mm. strategy. Mm. Or do you decentralise it and then the Mayor for London does London? And well, the, uh, you, I mean, we've seen elements know. of that, haven't we? The Mayor for London, uh, yes, it, it, that's right, do, does London at the moment. You've got in some areas, so take the self-build and custom build. I mean, a lot of that is down to local authorities making yeah. land available. If you look at right to buy, that, that's the same. And they've had very, very limited success or limited volume so far because some local authorities are very supportive, mm. some local authorities are very against it, and some local authorities don't even know what their options yeah. are. Um, mm. So you need to have some central strategy. That doesn't necessarily mean you don't then have local policies, but you need an overarching strategy that looks about where we want to be as a nation in 20 years and looking just beyond the next five-year parliament just isn't enough because what can you achieve in that five-year period Mm. absolutely um so do you think lenders are let's look at interest only do you think lenders are being too cautious on that because again the the uh mortgage market review wasn't really prescriptive on interest no. only, or is I, I, it? I think the the pendulum swung too far in one direction. I think that um, there is place in this in this market for interest only, providing you've got a reasonable repayment vehicle in place. But I do think that the caution has gone in the complete opposite direction. I do think it needs to be brought back into sort of a reasonable mix um, of interest only and capital and repayment, because there is a place for interest only without a doubt. Mm. Um, but I do think that the lenders are now being somewhat over cautious. And um, I just changed tack a bit with the base rate rises getting closer. And uh, are you guys gearing up for for more remortgage business? I know, I know we are. But with that comes the concern that, as we spoke about earlier, there's a whole swathe of people who aren't really aware of of the new lending criteria and are they going to actually qualify under the new regime, whereas a few years ago it was a lot easier to get a mortgage. Mm. And um, there seems to be... a uh, Lenders seem to be ignoring the transitional rules that the FCA have put in place under the Mortgage Market Review to help these people. Is that something that'll go through? I, I think, I mean, the leads are not ignoring the transitional rules, but I think that um, there are some selective ignorance towards the, the transitional rules. My concern with remortgages is it's always been chasing a rate and the customers may choose to chase a rate, but they might not be able to get it because of the affordability rules. So I think mm. that there are some, um, again, maybe some communication that needs to take place that says, you know, yes, you are a valid customer of this particular institution. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can go somewhere else and get exactly the same amount of borrowing um, for a cheaper rate. So I think there's, there's uh, to me, that's a concern. Um, and I think also then what you might find is there's more selective lending because they'll be the ones that absolutely the prime target for a remortgage and those underlying customers that might well have fit previously might not necessarily fit now. So I do think there's an element of education that needs to take place. So can you see a danger, Paul, that, that there are people sitting on variable rates who want to move to a fixed rate 
as soon as base rate starts to move, they won't be able to, and therefore they'll they'll find themselves in a bit of there, there, bit of trouble. There, there, there is a danger because you know you, you don't know what everybody's circumstances are, and the circumstances may well have changed over the you know, since they took the mortgage out. Um, but but I I don't think there's widespread um, ignoring of the transitional mm. arrangements. I don't think there's been a, a huge amount of demand for them so far. Not I yet. think it's no. probably too no, soon. Probably, no, you're right. It's probably, probably too not soon, yet. Yeah. Too soon to tell. I mean, there's many people that are sat on variable rates that are pretty content with those variable rates at the moment. I was. Um, so yeah, and then <laughs> and then you know when things yeah. start to move, then then they will start. Well, I'm to one of those on uh, mortgage prisoners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I might come and see you afterwards, uh, Lisa. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's wide open for the brokers. It's a massive opportunity for the brokers to start talking to their customers because. You know, you, you, you're looking at a lender in isolation that is looking at their own bank of customers, whereas actually as a broker, they've got all of the opportunities to talk to as many lenders um, as, as are available. So I think as far as remortgage is concerned, it's, you know, it's a smashing opportunity for the brokers and customers alike who, who, who use a broker. I think on interest only, our lenders being being too cautious, I think... Um what Louisa said is, is absolutely right. The pendulum did swing too far the other way and come back. I'm in the camp that interest only. The changes that FCA made with interest only were a step too far anyway. Right. Because I think what, what they've done is effectively said uh, in a market where people there's no security of tenure in, yep. in the rented sector typically mm-hmm. because of this six months and 12 months um, rolling a short, short tenancy agreement, there was a number of people that were essentially saw themselves as renting for a period of time through an interest only mortgage. Mm-hmm. They could afford that payment. They they were going into it with their eyes wide open, perhaps for five or ten years yeah. to put the children through school. They knew yeah. they didn't have to yeah. to move in that. And as long as they knew at the end of that they were going to exit home ownership, you know, who are the FCA to tell them they can't do that? Mm. So I think they've gone too far. And I think there is a real need until we sort out longer tenancies in the mm. in the private rented sector where people want them, and not everybody does, mm. um, but where people want them. I thought that that was a good kind of hybrid tenure of choice as long as people knew what they were getting mm. into. That's a very good point. And I know Sh- Shelter are, are very vocal about trying to increase the uh, tenancy um, agreements. Mm. But will lenders accept on, on a buy-to-let basis? Longer-term will, will tenancy agreements. It's, it's lenders a tricky one that? because, of course, you know, you've, you, the, you, the tenants suddenly become... Um, they, they have greater rights the longer they stay in a property. So it's, it's, it's a difficult one um, as to whether or not lenders... I can't personally see lenders moving towards longer... Um, AST agreements some, some some have we've got four of our members that will do battle that was a three year tenancies right mm-hmm. um, there's now, something you'll what, have to give otherwise they, the, some, the yeah, landlords that, that, that's right and yeah. there is there is uh, questions that if you go beyond that there are you know achieving vacant possession and all that kind of stuff in the in the event of yeah. default and so on yeah. is, is a challenge and the housing minister is looking really closely at this as is the opposition who both um, I mean Emma Reynolds the uh, shadow housing minister yeah. has talked about Longer term tenancies, I'm going a bit further than that. Not quite going back to rent controls, but that's how it's been presented mm. often in the press. And Chris Hopkins, Housing Minister, is, um, held a summit at Downing Street not long ago with lenders to say, you know, what are the obstacles? So they're trying to work now on a model tenancy agreement that will be available for landlords to use if they want that might well be acceptable mm-hmm. for mortgage lenders. But we certainly haven't seen... The, the lenders of ours that are doing three years haven't seen a... A great a demand for it, actually. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. Given that most tenancies are ended by the tenant rather than the landlord, quite how widespread that will come. But for some people, they do need those longer-term tenancies, and it's right that they, they can get that. Um, it, you know, it's right that we try and give them the opportunity to have that if it's Absolutely. used in circumstances. Yeah. But you know, the lenders. Uh, Ranks have, have got to take precedent on the back of that market. Mm. Massively talking about interest only as well. Massively underutilized part and part. 
you know, it's very rare that you yeah, see absolutely. an application that comes yeah. in for X amount on Why repayment and is? the is rest that, on interest that... only. I think it's probably driven by the lenders because historically a lot of the lenders didn't have the systems in yeah, place to be systems, able to take yeah. a part and part mortgage. But if you look at London, for example, you could take a large percentage of the loan on repayment or even on interest only and top up with the opposite. Mm. And actually that could resolve quite a few issues in respect of affordability. So I think that... There's a place for that, and in particular where you've got high property prices, um, where you know, or you've got somebody that's cash rich and can't necessarily go through the normal mm. process that can take um, an element of part and part. Yeah, yeah, it no, is I've massively always... underutilized. Very few people Absolutely. will talk about it. Yeah, well, we actually do quite a bit of it. Fifty mm. percent interest only, and the and the rest topped yeah, up with probably repayment. because of your, you know, the fact that you yeah, are London centric. Makes... Yeah, that that makes sense to me a lot. I wouldn't own a home if I wasn't interest only. <laughs> no, neither would I. I took mine out nine years ago. <laughs> yeah. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't be in the mess I'm in now. That's <laughs> why you're a, you're a slave to your yeah, end. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. I'm anyway. on repayment now. Yes, I know. I, I remortgaged you. I know. I was very sensible. I took a five-year five fixed rate. That was very sensible. It, it was. Yeah. Obviously, you had a decent broker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, finally, then, how do you sort of see the... The market for the rest of this year, what, uh, what is it going to go flat over the summer, then ballistic at the end as everyone comes back? Are, le- are lenders gearing up to try and hit end of year targets? Or mm, I, I personally, from or have uh, having, having watched it closely over the last uh, few weeks, I think that um, it's plateaued and I think it will remain this way until towards the last quarter of this year and then I think we'll start to see some activity but I don't think that's going to play out until 2015 so I think that the year from from the way I see it is it's going to be relatively flat from now on um, and lenders will start to um, to start become active again but at the last quarter of the year and it might will be on remortgage it might be pushing some some decent innovation but I do think it's going to tail off and then hit into 2015 so I think we'll start Q1 of 2015 as an absolute bumper quarter that's that's my personal view, having spoken to a few people. Are your members bullish? I think I think they are they are reasonably bullish. I they mean, they, be, they, yeah. they certainly um, see themselves lending, um, uh, you know, continuing to lend strongly for the remainder yeah. of this year, yeah. and probably do a little bit more um, next year. I think there are a number of lenders that around MMR implementation that pulled back from the market had actually factored that into their plans and were yeah, probably ahead of the so. plan. Um, I think we will see an uptick. I think some of it will complete this year. And I think, you know, if we, if we look at where we might lend in terms of gross lending terms, slightly north of 200 billion, I think. Mm. Um, and I think if, you know, that's probably north of where we would have thought in January. Um, isn't a million miles north of where we were in January. And I think yeah. that's a reasonable year yeah, compared to where right. we've been coming from in the last Absolutely. few years. Absolutely, yeah. So the message to consumers is very much... You are lending. Lenders are lending. It's not all about the high street. Absolutely. If you you can't get through with a with a high street bank, don't worry. There's a a plethora of smaller lenders who are who are around and 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 happy to happy to lend. I think I think the fact is, let's just get this across that you know what a lot of the large banks do is they do have a computer says no approach. Absolutely. So if you don't fit that machine, you you fall out the other end, and it isn't really worth the while to employ a, a team of people to have a look about why you've fallen out fallen out of that regime. Our sector takes a much more manual, judgment, common sense approach. Yeah. So the fact is, you know, if you come along and speak to your local building society, you're going to be looked upon favourably. They can talk you through your circumstances. You can explain what your needs are and you'll probably end up with a better solution. Very good. Anyone got anything else to add? I think we've run out of time. 
Very good. <laughs> good. Well, that's it. So I've thank you. Loads of questions. He ran out of time. So. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, What's it? We I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Minutes. Yeah, I want to know. Regulates us. Who I get so confused. We got the FCA. Then you get people poking their nose. And I've just had an email as we walked in here about mortgage lenders and this, that, and the other from the PRA. I mean, uh, yeah, and then so, the Bank of England yeah. uh, doing stuff. I mean, it seems to me we we used to have the FCA. Now we've got people. You know, we're regulated by the FCA. I know who we're regulated by. Let me just make that clear. Uh, <laughs> well done, Matthew. But. It's, I think it's getting very, very confusing. It's not surprising you get mixed messages in the media. That goes back to, I guess, your, your point about having one person at the top, doesn't it? Because it is confusing. You've got the FCA, the PRA, and the, the, FPC. the FPC, the uh, BBC. You've got, yeah. you got all these different yeah. things. Well, they, they all look at things through a different lens and often yeah. have con conflicting views. I mean, if you look at what the PRA is about, it's financial stability. So their focus would be administered rates, on both the deposit side and the mortgage side of the book because that's where you can flex that margin for financial stability. What the FCA want is everybody to have an external benchmark reference rate so that they know exactly when their interest rate is going to move. Yeah, now, those yeah. two are completely different starting points. And from a lender's perspective, you've got to kind of balance those two things, doing right by your consumers, but also making sure your, your business uh, remains viable mm. Mm. and vibrant. Perfect. <laughs> Very good. See, there's a perfect answer. There you go. <laughs> so that's your question. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or everybody. Or everybody. Yeah. Dependent on your preference. No, no one person. Well, everyone has an opinion on it, don't they? Because that's what we're we're, we're, we're a property obsessed country. Mm, we are. Well, there you go. Confused. <laughs> Tune in next month <laughs> for when we will answer more of these confusing questions. So one other question uh, that has, has crossed my mind is how important have intermediaries become and do you see the days of the bank branch numbered? Is, is there a massive shift towards intermediary lending, uh, mortgage brokers, rather than actually people going into their branch directly? I personally, I think the role of the intermediary is critical, uh, especially when customers are confused, um, mixed messages coming from the media and various other places, they need a broker to rely upon to be able to source the right product for them. So I think as far as the intermediary market is concerned, this is a huge opportunity. In respect of the um, branch networks, um, again, similarly, there's an opportunity for them to talk to more customers. Um, customers still need to walk into the branches to deposit savings, and the savings then ultimately lead to, um, to lending through mortgages. So I think that the direct arm is um, still vitally important to, to the mortgage market, mm. um, but I think for, for different reasons. But I do think the intermediary is, um, is a, great it's a great opportunity for them just at the moment um, and going forward uh, and for the customers because they're going to need a greater degree of choice, um, which they don't always get from a single tie um, mm. bank or building society. I think it's a little bit different, isn't it, Paul, for, you, for your members because... The branch, as you alluded to before, is sort of part of the community, really, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Rather yeah. than a sort of a faceless bank branch. It's... Yeah, I think I think that's right, and it is absolutely. And you know, I've, I've said to certainly to politicians before, and they've said your sector's pretty inefficient. Look at its cost-income ratio, and I say, well, it's pretty proud to be inefficient because it's closed fewer branches. Yeah, um, mm. and it wants that that branch network in there, and it's vitally important. But that's not at the expense of the intermediate market. I think there is absolutely room for both. Um, and it's quite helpful, particularly for a number of our members that move into a new niche area where there is a need in their local community. Actually, that 
that business comes through advisors that know that space very, yeah. very well yeah. and the consumer yeah. gets that right. So yeah. I think there is room uh, for both. I mean, you've got some of our members who is, you know, are, are writing 90% of their business from intermediaries. You've got others that are 100% direct. So there is there is both approaches in there. And we've even got building societies that don't have a single branch. So it's not all about the branch network. Yeah, it is no, about absolutely. Yeah. It's the omni-channel. Omnichannel, yeah. I like that. Yes, um, whereas obviously various different <laughs> routes for customers to utilise um, financial services companies. Yeah, yeah. very good. Uh, so thank you to my guests. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Louisa. Yeah, thank good. you, Matt. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next month with some more topical discussions. As ever, any comments or requests for topics to cover in future episodes, please feel free to contact us on Twitter. We are at Corico or on email londoncalling at corico.co.uk. Until next time, this is London Calling.